Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside, well, well, actually alongside no one today. I'm doing this one solo. Uh, so, yeah, so it's just me. So no fun banter with John at the top. It's just going to go right into our interview today. Our guest this week on the show is none other than Heather Avis. Now, Heather is the author of a brand new book called Scoot Over and Make Some Room. She's going to talk to us about uh, about her mission to introduce the world to people with unique gifts. So that's uh, she has she's an adoptive mother of three, including two kids with Down syndrome, and and what that has taught her about the need for different voices at the table and advocating for our kids. And she is a really inspirational person when it comes to making sure that your kids, making sure that her kids are well seen by the world, but also uh, giving you some tips for how you can have your kids seen and also the importance of diversity in uh, in, in diversity perspective in our lives and why that's great. And it is one of the one of the better conversations I've ever had, one of the uh, one of the better books I've actually followed up with and read after the interview. Really exciting. So make sure you stay around for the Heather Avis in- interview. Scoot over and make some room. But first, I want to talk to you guys about keto. We talk about keto all the time here on the show. And I've got great news for those of you that are into it. One is the U.S. military is actually going to go keto. And we had Dr. D'Agostino, Dominic D'Agostino, on this show, and he talked about all the research he does for Navy SEALs, and it's starting to actually influence what the government is doing. So they're studying another ketogenic diet. Uh, they're, They're studying whether it can help lower obesity rates among active service members, while at the same time boosting soldiers' physical and mental performance. It comes after researchers from, not D'Agostino, from Ohio State University did the first ever keto study that specifically used military members as subjects. The results were published in the journal Military Medicine, which, as you can imagine, is about military medicine, and showed substantial weight loss and improvements in body composition among study participants. Over three months, study subjects lost an average, are you ready for this, of 17 pounds and 5% of their body fat. Another study was done by Lisa Sanders. She's the Director of Science and Technology at U.S. Special Operations Command. That's Navy SEALs, uh, Army Special Forces, all of the Special Forces. Her study found that people in ketosis, those are people that are doing the ketogenic diet, you get into ketosis, can stay underwater for longer periods of time without having oxygen seizures. And that's something we talked uh, to D'Agostino about a lot, about the kind of oxygen deprivation performance, uh, which was obviously ideal for Coast Guard divers and Navy SEALs. Uh, And another study is being done to see if the keto diet actually helps military performance at altitude. So yet again, another huge benefit to the ketogenic diet. So if you've not checked out some of our keto podcasts, please go back and listen to the D'Agostino interview, my one with Frank Yosa, all kinds of, uh, of, of great information about the ketogenic diet. And here we have the military starting to use it to keep all of their soldiers fit. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I think since it's just me today, uh, I'm going to get right into the interview. So, But first, before we do the interview, a quick word from our, uh, our Weeder Artery Health sponsor. Uh, don't forget, cardiovascular health is, uh, is arterial health. They are the same thing. So this, uh, this is an, an, an important, important product for you to listen to. And then as soon as we get back from that commercial, right into my interview with Heather Avis. Hey, it's John Tesh here to tell you about Weeder Artery Health. If you're concerned about maintaining your heart health, I urge you to check out Weeder Artery Health. It's crucial to maintain healthy and flexible arteries, and that's where Weeder Artery Health comes in. It has clinically researched key ingredients like vitamin K2, which is hard to get enough of from food alone. Weeder Artery Health uses MenaQ7 as the source of vitamin K2. It's been clinically shown to help transport calcium to your bones. Weeder Artery Health also includes an ingredient called aronia berry, 
which improves circulation and helps maintain blood pressure by keeping arteries flexible. Proper blood flow is your lifeline, and I want you to live a long and healthy life. So grab a box of Weeder Artery Health. I get mine at Costco for the best value, and you can too. Or you can visit Weeder.com. Go to Costco.com or Weeder.com for Weeder Artery Health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Heather Avis, thank you so much for being a part of our program today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure. So you've written a book that's getting a lot of a lot of great attention. Scoot over and make some room. Creating a space where everyone belongs. That's the that's the full title. I think just calling it "Scoot over, make some room" is 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 okay. Um, but but uh, yeah, and this 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 book is 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 fantastic, and it is all about about finding ways to ple- to include people that have not been included in in the conversation in the past. Yes, this is correct. And my my publishers and I did go back and forth on the title because it is a lot of words. But, but it's important. It's important to frame it's important. it properly. Yeah, it's important. So we landed with a large, a lot of word title, if that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you're an adoptive mother of three children, right? Yes, correct. Uh, uh, I, I have dabbled in... Uh, in foster care, and I, uh, when I say dabbled, you know, we've done it for some time, and it is. Um, how, how did you How did you come to that to that conclusion that 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 was something you wanted to do? Because it's um, not easy. It's not easy. It is for sure very very hard and layered and important. We are not holy people who are amazing. We are very average at best, and we couldn't have kids naturally. Mm-hmm. So this is the story. Um, but we knew we wanted to have kids, so we pursued adoption. And we were hoping to get a healthy infant who preferably had some similar physical characteristics to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went that route and tried to have a lot of control. And we were presented with a little girl who has Down syndrome. She had a bunch of health issues, congenital heart defect, a lung condition that was incredibly severe. She's really, really sick. Um, and it was a ve- it's a very long story. My first book, The Lucky Few, was all about it. But it was basically my scariest and my best yes, saying yes to adopting her. Mm. And then that opened up the door for us. We adopted two more kids. So after the first adoption, realizing that we tried to have a lot of control over the child we were going to adopt. Right, and right, then we right. got this child who's nothing like what we were expecting and everything we needed. She just changed our lives for the better. Yeah. Um, the next two adoptions, we were pretty open to, to any child out there. And we ended up, our middle daughter has no special needs, no medical issues. Um, but she is a different ethnicity than us. My husband and I are both Caucasian, and she is African American and Guatemalan. And then our son also has Down syndrome. And and did that process? I mean, I'm assuming like the the reason why I started with this uh, is I'm assuming that that opened up something or made you realize that we need to scoot over and make room and create spaces where everyone belongs. So how did that process of of adopting you know two kids with special needs? Uh, and one that's a different ethnicity, and and how, how did that open your eyes to the need for us to make room for each other in in the world? Yeah, I mean, it just completely took the blinders off of my eyes once I was raising kids who are marginalized. Um, the thing about life is you can't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and then once you know it, as a mom, for me, I couldn't just sit still about it because it's my kids. So the reality is when my kids step outside my front door, they're stepping into a world that fails to see their full value and worth because of the way they look, because of the way they think, because of the way they learn, mm-hmm. or because of the way they act. Um, and that's unacceptable as their mother. But then the bigger picture is 
that they are a part of larger group, larger people groups, that the same kind of injustices are happening to in the world, the same kind of exclusions. Um, and so selfishly, I've learned that being a part of the different ability community and then also being intentional about having relationships with people who are a different ethnicity than I am has made me a better person. Um, and so it's like a, a message thing. Hey, we're going to do this hard work. You guys are going to scoot over for my kids, but also in doing so, you're going to have a richer, fuller life mm. for yourself. What does that, so what does that mean that the, again, like what does the scooting over mean? How do, how do you, how do you encourage people that are in your kids' lives to scoot over and make room for them and their, their and their excellence? Oh gosh, it's a it's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I, how to keep it by the brief. book? <laughs> exactly, by the book. At the end. No, um, there. It's noticing who's not in your space. I think is the first thing we need to do. Who is missing at your table? Who is missing in your life? If you are surrounded by people who look and think and act and vote just like you, then chances right, are right. you're missing out on the fullness of humanity. Chances are you're a little bit miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm saying to to the systems in place, so schools, I'm saying to the school, hey, you're you're saying because my kid looks or learns differently that they're going to be segregated into a separate classroom. I'm saying no. Um, their differences actually give them value and worth, and they are worthy to learn alongside their typical peers. So they will be in a classroom with everybody else. So we're saying that. Um, and and I think it, if you're in a school, if you're raising kids, and your kids are in a classroom where there aren't people with different abilities, chances are those kids are at your schools or they're being bused to another school, right. and that's that's a problem. So you just being aware who's not there, um, and then trying to figure out well where. Where are they? How do we get them into our spaces? How are we intentional about intentional about creating relationships with people who are different than us? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's not one easy answer. You know, it's not like tr- follow these five bullet points right. because it's so nuanced, because it depends where you live. You know, it depends on how you grew up. It depends on who's around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least taking notice of who's missing and then doing all you can to make sure that you invite those people into your lives. I mean, I think there's so much, there's so many like nuggets of wisdom and corollaries to everything you're saying. Like one of them is, uh, you know, you talk about people with different points of view. I think you can't, you can't understand your own point of view unless you understand, uh, fully understand and appreciate what the contrary point of view is. Like you can't, you can't, uh, you can't believe in the death penalty if you don't fully understand the arguments against it. And you can't believe uh, in any political element unless you fully understand what the other people what their point is right Mm -hmm. otherwise you're you're really doing yourself a disservice and also like you're talking about representation and inclusion and that's it's it's such a big hot topic especially on the left right now but this idea Mm -hmm. of representation in the media in particular but i'm but that is a real corollary to what you're talking about this idea of being able to see yourself or to be able to be included in the main uh, in in this in the in the forum that we all consume, which is the, the media world, right? I, I feel like is is so fundamental and and a, a strong corollary of what you're talking about. Oh, it is it is huge. Let me tell you a super quick story. So my middle daughter, take your time. Um, we, we got no time limits here. Oh, perfect. Um, so my middle daughter, who is African American and Guatemalan, her siblings were all Caucasian. She's the only one with brown skin in the family. Mm-hmm. So she, for Christmas one year, asks for a Barbie. I've got issues with Barbie, which can be another podcast. I also am (laughs) like a big you do you. So to all the mamas and dads out there and grandparents buying Barbies for your kids, you do you. No judgment for me. This is my own personal conviction. But 
She asked for a Barbie, like a typical Barbie. I had bought brown skin Barbies before. Right. She wanted a white skinned blonde haired Barbie. <laughs> and I finally gave in. I'm, we're real intentional with the toys that enter our home because representation matters. My kids right. need to see themselves in the things that they play with, the, the books that they read, the shows that they watch. So I, I let grandma get her a Barbie. And the next day she's so excited and she walks in my room and she says, hey, mom. And she's wearing this dress and she says, can I cut this? And I say no, because we don't cut our clothes. And she, of course, throws a little fit mm-hmm. and then stomps out, comes back in, has a different outfit on and looks like her Barbie. I said, that was a great, great solution, babe. And then she says, mom, can I, can I straighten my hair? And she's got very curly hair. Right. I said, oh, no, babe, your hair's curly. And she's like, but I just, I just want to use that thing. I have a flat iron, it's called. I said, no, honey, we're not straightening your hair. Your hair's curly. And then she like flips out and says at the top of her lungs, but I just want to look like my Barbie. And left the room. So there's some layers there. Like, first of all, she threw a fit. I don't appreciate that. But more, <laughs> that more most, than that. That's the calmest right? parenting thing to say. I don't appreciate that. But yeah. I drank but an more, extra bottle of wine that night because of that's it. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. But more than that, I was so burdened because even though we are trying so hard to raise her, to see people who look like her, to celebrate what she looks like, to celebrate her differences, because of the lack of representation in the media, she is so inundated with this idea that it is better to have long, straight blonde hair and white skin. And I talk with my friends who are African-American, raising their children who are also Mm African-American, and they're battling the same thing when their kids look like them. So it's like, oh, this burden is so heavy, and the message feels um, really um, timely. Like we've got, things have to change now, not tomorrow. Like right now we need to wake up and realize the space that we're taking up in the world and invite other people into that space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but I, so then, then the question becomes like you, you talked before about even your, uh, having your kids in the general school population and not having them separated by, uh, learning differences. Uh, and, the, the issue that I have with that is kids can be really mean. Yeah. You, you could be putting your kid in a situation where, um, where they're, they they feel more singled out for their differences. How do you, how do you encourage, um, how do you encourage your kids in those situations? Cause my, my oldest daughter is, it can be difficult nowhere near the, the, the stuff that you're dealing with, but she can be difficult and she has a hard time making friends because of it. Um, and I have a hard time encouraging her. And then, uh, furthermore, how can the parents of, of the blonde, straight haired kids, right. how can the parents of the athletic boys, uh, the ones that are, that do meet the standards that, that, that have been told traditionally that, uh, of what, of what ideal is, how can they, how can those parents make, encourage their kids to make room for these other kids? Right. I mean, this is like the whole basis of this message for this book with, with our kids, Um, the things that we always remind them of is that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel scared. It's okay that things are hard. I think that that's so important to tell your kids when they're in a hard situation, like this is hard. It's okay for things to be hard. And I'm so sorry. Like we'll hold this with you. And sometimes you just have to sit in it. Um, You can't, there's not a quick magic eraser to make things easy. And then we just remind them that we we say our last name is Avis. Like we say Avises are brave and Avises show up. And so Avis, we have like Avis little, tries harder. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I wish we were part of that Avis. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like we so, so like imp, implementing those things or giving them those tools and those little sayings to remember, like, yeah, sometimes things are hard and that's OK. We're going to make it through this. 
you've got this, we've got you kind of mantras. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're changing the identity. You're making the totally. identity about Avis, about being an Avis and about being the one that works the hardest and tries the hardest. I mean, sorry. Right. But yeah. But yeah. Yeah, totally. And and giving our kids breaks too. Like if we notice that things are particularly hard at schools, we'll take them out for a day, you know, like, and we just have to show up as the parents. We are constantly talking to the principals and the teachers. I mean, I am that mom. Like I am the mom that <laughs> the, the, the school doesn't prefer me, I don't think. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm showing up for my kid, you know, like I'm calling it like I see it and I'm saying this needs to change. But I think that more importantly is this idea that the burden shouldn't just be on us and be on my kids. This should be a collective burden because humanity's better off when we're all, when, when everyone belongs. And mm-hmm. so to the blonde haired or to the, to the kid, to the parent raising the kid who fits the mold, um, it's never too late to start, but the younger you start, the better. So if a kid is in preschool and they're learning alongside someone in a wheelchair with a speech impediment who has a different race, who has Down syndrome, who looks different. I mean, the like however long the list is, if they have that relationship at a very young age, then as they get older, it's going to be their normal. It's mm-hmm. not going to be like, oh, I'm now in fifth grade and I have no idea how to interact with this kid with a different ability. Right. Um, and as parents, it's our job to expose our kids to people who are different than them so that there isn't that hard moment of, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Um, or that moment of, well, I'm going to exclude and treat differently, treat this person differently because I'm uncomfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. but not everyone started at that early time. So then if you have an older kid, I think it's important to let them know that it's okay to ask questions. Um, and to admit as a parent that you don't know the answers and then to figure it out together, right? Whether that is looking up, uh, listening to a podcast or looking up articles or mm-hmm. um, following certain people on Instagram who can answer the questions um, or asking the person. Like if a mom or a kid says to me, hey, we don't know anything about Down syndrome. Could you teach us? That's a, that's incredible. Yes, please. Please ask me that. Please let me be the one to teach you because I know a lot, you know? Yeah. Well, as the mother of, of, of two children with Down syndrome, what is the number one thing you wish that other parents and other kids would know about about your kids and about Down syndrome in general? Um, the thing that I want people to to know or to do is when they see my kid to assume competence and okay. see that they are able. So we live in a world in a society where as soon as you see somebody with Down syndrome or somebody mm-hmm. who has some kind of intellectual or physical disability, you see what they're um, what they're unable to do. You see the disability. And I'm saying, oh, no, I want you to actually see the asset that they're diagnosis brings. So see my kid and see them as able, assume that they can assume that they will. That really is such a game changer in the, in the narrative and in the dialogue. You know, what's really interesting is, um, that that's, that's a big part of the conversation about all kinds of differences coming together is assuming, assuming excellence, assuming competence, uh, 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 my wife is an inner city teacher, and one of the big tenets of the organization she works for is that you you have to assume that these kids are capable of achieving the exact same things that the prep school kids in the, in the suburbs can. Otherwise, they will believe you when you say that they can't. Hundred percent. And and it's it's the same kind of equalization concept, I think that um, that that really really makes a difference because we hear as adults, as children, as everything. We hear other people's opinions of ourselves and we make that our reality unless we have a, a, a competing narrative. 
But mm-hmm. we, whatever narrative we're told is the narrative that we internalize. Like that's, that's just basic psychology for everybody. And so if people in authority and people in privilege can't start undoing that narrative for people who are differently abled, for people who are uh, marginalized in other ways, it's never going to get better. It's so true. It's so true. And so, and that's why I think that everyone in their own right has felt left out. Like has has felt that right. they want someone else to make room for them, but the truth of the matter is there are people who are taking up more space than others, mm-hmm. and it's time if we want to see narratives change, which again is going to better humanity as a whole. Um, so it really can be like a selfish thing to do this. Then the people who are in power really need to look at the systems in play and figure out how do we how do we change these systems so that they work for all people and mm-hmm. so that the narrative is positive for all the different people, that it's a positive narrative. And it's hard. It's a, I mean, it's hard work. There's not one answer. Um, but I think you can start with relationships. I think relationships is a great place to start. You know, I, um, I mean, I think that's, I think, I think that's a really good, like if you, if you know one person of a different race, it, it helps you understand if you know them well, if you and you mm-hmm. and you and you know them relationally, as opposed to just as an acquaintance, I think it I think it does help to to break down some of the barriers that that you're talking about. Uh, this may come as a surprise. I am a white male. Okay. Uh, I have. Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to. I, I I wouldn't say I have a position of power, but I do. Ha- you know, I have some influence in in my life. How do I use that, or how do I make room and scoot over for um, for other people? Yes. Um, I think that it's important to recognize the power and the status that you have. So you specifically a white male or whoever, whoever is listening. Um, and then to take on the posture as listener learner, listener, being a listener learner is so important and making sure that you are learning from and listening to the people who you are prone to ignore. And so you've got to be intentional. There's a lot of intentionality that needs to take place here. And it is, if it's an issue of, of race, and I think race is a great conversation or a great um, example here. Are you reading books by authors who are African-American or different ethnicity than you are? Are you sitting in circles um, with people as an acquaintance or in relationship, just listening and learning? And when they say something that rubs you the wrong way and you feel the need to be defensive, like holding your tongue mm. and not not needing to be, but rather sitting in that, letting it simmer, letting it cook up a little bit and learning more. Like, are you on Instagram, on social media, are you following accounts of people who are advocates in this, in those spaces, in the spaces of race in the spaces of ability and just reading what they have to say. And when they say something that irritates you or that you find incredibly offensive, keep following along, keep reading, keep learning. Um, just because someone thinks differently than you doesn't mean that they are wrong. Um, or that you're wrong. I think that we have to realize that there's a lot of different nuances here and there's a lot of different opinions mm-hmm. and that shouldn't take away from someone's humanity. So to get to that point of like, you are human, therefore you are worthy, even though I totally disagree with you. Like that, you know, like how, yeah. how do we get there? Right. <clears throat> and then I think depending on where you're at, like um, the spaces that you're in, how can you change those spaces? So if you are a powerful white man in a political sphere what can you actually do? Like the power that you have to change something in the political world. If you're an educator, like the power that you have as a teacher over those students' lives and their families. So you have to see who is in your sphere of influence, not compare it to someone else's. That's a huge piece, but be responsible for who's in your sphere and have those conversations with 
your uncles and your grandparents and your coworkers and your employees or your employer or whoever it is, um, and owning your responsibility as an advocate within your own sphere of influence. Wow. I mean, I mean, I feel like a little bit of that is easier said than done, right? Because, oh my gosh, this is, all of this is easier said than done. This is hard, hard stuff. I mean, one of the, one of the corollaries of privilege is that I don't have to think about this all the time. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's not my daily reality. So I have to be intentional to make myself uncomfortable um, in order to, and that, that, that is, in, in fact, I would say that's the ultimate privilege, right? Is I don't have to, yep. I don't have to think about my identity in terms of race or ability. I, because it's not a reality for me, uh, being outside of the majority a, on a, on a daily basis. So yeah. the idea that I would intentionally put myself into an uncomfortable situation is, uh, well, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> right. And yeah, when the system's in play, working your favor, why challenge the system, right? right. And I think that's why <laughs> exactly. that's why my book, I recognize like putting this book in the world, I don't expect it to be some New York Times bestseller because mm-hmm. we live in a world where people are like, how do I improve my life so I am better? But at the end of the day, what I have learned through my children is that by by me as a, as a white woman, so I've got all kinds of privilege, like I've got a college education, I grew up in a middle-class home, my parents are still married. I mean, so many things right. that I have as my own privileges that when I've stepped outside of those and I've seen how the systems work in my favor, but they work against my kids and I've done something about it. What I've discovered is that my life is so much more complete, so much richer. I have such a better understanding of myself Mm -hmm. because I'm willing to be in relationship with people who are different than me. And I see the world, um, in through a lens of hope. And I see the importance of the healing of our humanity, the healing of our world, um, is going to happen when we're willing to step out of our privilege and make the world work for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Now, why, why now? Like, why, why, why haven't we done this before? Why are we just do? why, why does this book need to happen now? Um, you know, why, why, why are we not at the ideal world already? So I think it's been happening for a while. Um, I can think of people who are mentors and heroes in my own life who have been doing this hard work and, and you know, it just hasn't gone noticed. Um, why now? Because tomorrow is too late. Uh, every It all needs to happen now. Tomorrow is too late. And because another thing that I, that I feel like it's so important in this day and age is because of things like social media, we have access to each other in a way that we never have in the past. And we can choose to use that tool for good or for bad. Um, and I hope that people choose to use it for good. Mm-hmm. But it has to happen now because yeah, tomorrow tomorrow's too late. Do you think social media and the internet have, have helped or hurt your cause? Or, so or did, my, this, this idea yeah. of equality and representation? I think that it's, I, I feel like in the Down syndrome community specifically, social media has been incredibly helpful. Um, I know with, we have an Instagram account called the Lucky Few Official. Mm-hmm. And I have people literally from all over the world reaching out all the time, letting me know how their life, how they are now either going to adopt a child who has a different ability or they're got an in utero diagnosis and they feel hopeful instead of terrified mm-hmm. or that their child now has a relationship with someone who's different than them solely because they've seen our family on social media. So there is such a power there for relationship. And then also, like I was saying earlier, the opportunity to learn from people who you've um, right. physically couldn't have close nearby right. people across the world mm-hmm. who are willing to put themselves out there as advocates for a certain group of people. 
Um, so that I think it's, I think it for the cause, it's super helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking yeah. too, because there are, there are communities and I, I can think of a handful where you're talking about, you know, uh, 95, even 98% one race and, and socioeconomically pretty, pretty narrow in, in, mm-hmm. in terms of how many people are, are, um, are above or below the poverty line. And like they, there, there are those communities where even if they wanted to, they couldn't seek out some of the, the relationships you're talking about. So I think in that way, social media would be hugely beneficial. Definitely. Yeah. It really is such a, such a good tool for people who don't like physically have ac- access to someone who's a different race than them or someone who's a different ability. How do you, how do you, as if you live in one of those communities, how does a person, I, I mean, I live in a, I live in a major city. It's, I, I am surrounded by people of different abilities, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds and current statuses. Like it's, it's, you know, that, that's the nature of living in a city. How do you, if you don't live in one of those places, how do you, how do you make this resonate with people who don't have it in their face all the time? The need for um, inclusion, because if because everybody's included in those in those in those communities where where people are pretty pretty homogenous, it is pretty inclusive because it is you're including everyone because everybody's already included. Does that make sense? Already. It's a little tautological, it's tough, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Well, oh gosh, I don't I don't live in that kind of community either, mm-hmm. so it is hard to speak from experience. I have a sneaky suspicion that there's um, not that everyone's. Miserable is the wrong word, but I think in those communities that there is a void. I think that people feel a void and feel like they are trying to one up each other constantly. Mm-hmm. If everyone around you is the same, we have this like innate human need uh, uh, to be the best. I think a lot of people, in the, at least in the United States, like this idea that you right. can be the best, be the best. So I would wonder if everyone in those communities is constantly trying to one up each other. And then there's like a sense of, being miserable, <laughs> um, which again is like why you should have people in your life who are different than you. Um, but it, it really is. If you think if you're in that kind of a community and you think everything is as it should be, then I think there's a, a real thick ignorance there. And I, <laughs> I feel like that's probably very offensive to a lot of people. Um, because it's once you step outside of yourself and realize that there's this whole other way to live, and that there's not one right way to live. Mm-hmm. There's maybe one million right ways to live. Um, once you you can't know that unless you are experiencing different ways of living. So I think there's probably lacking a great lacking in the soul of those communities. Mm. You um, you are you, speaking of communities. You are a part of a faith community. You are a believer. Yes. You um. So I, you, this is not some sort of, uh, you're, you're, it's not like Swarthmore jargon that you're coming at. This is this is some, you're you're seeing this from the perspective of of a believer. Uh, can you give us some examples of where of why this is important in a biblical context? Like where where do we see in the Bible people needing to elevate uh, and and scoot over? Sure. I think if from a biblical context, if you want to just look at the life of Jesus um, as man, as God, you want to look at what he did. He basically went into into his society. So the place and time in which he lived and radically pushed for inclusion. Um, and I say that because all the powers that be, all the people who are in power were just constantly upset by him because mm-hmm. he was 
going against their norms. He went against social norms constantly, whether it was reaching out to people who had physical ailments, who were cast aside, who were totally marginalized, or women, allowing women to play a seat at the table when so at the time that wasn't something that was allowed. Um, different ethnicities, like interacting with people who are different ethnic background than him, where yeah. during the time that was totally looked down upon. So he literally... The Samaritan woman at the well. Is totally, yeah. totally. Um, he literally went around his community and found the marginalized and invested in them, created relationships with them. And the powers that be, the people who were in privilege, the systems in place were working in their favor, were constantly upset at him. The Pharisees were constantly upset with him because he challenged, he went in and challenged the way that they were living. To your point said, before, if, yeah. you are, if you are in a position of privilege and power, why would you upset the status quo? Right, right. And so Jesus, but Jesus came in and was, was pointing out like the humanity and the worth in people who have been marginalized. Um, and the, those who knew who Jesus was, the power of who Jesus is and knew the person of Jesus and what it meant for him to actually reach out to someone who was found on the margins, like those who were closest to him, were radically changed by it too. Like, yeah. wait a second, I didn't even know that we were allowed to interact with this person, let alone that they're of any value or worth. Right. And she's like, oh no, they're actually as valuable and worthy as you. <laughs> and I'm going to create a relationship with them. So that, I mean, if we look at the life of Jesus and it's like, okay, we're going to look at our churches. Are the churches doing this? Um, and that's up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the most political <laughs> intro to that, which I think we all know the answer is that we're not. We're not doing right. a good job of that. Right. But uh, that, yeah. All right. Well, I think I think this is. <laughs> what, where, what do people do uh, if they if okay they maybe they don't have a community where where this is actively taking place where this idea of conclusion is maybe they are convicted that inclusion is important. We've convinced them that there is value in this idea. <laughs> Uh, in just these last in this last half hour, uh, how, what is the first step that people need to be taking? Step one is who is not in your space, who is right. missing from your table. That is step one, um, and then step two, and again, this is the harder step: is how do you get in relationships with them? And it's going to depend on the place that you live, um, and it's going to be it's going to feel uncomfortable. I think getting a relationship with anyone is uncomfortable, but step two, depending where you live, might be oh, I've noticed that this mom takes her child on a walk pushing a wheelchair or whatever it might be. I'm going to say hello next time and ask them their name, mm -hmm. right? Step two is literally, hey, what's your name? So nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. um, or it's, I'm going to read these books. I'm going to choose these 10 books right. this year who are written by people who are immersed in these communities and I'm going to read their words and I'm going to hear their stories and I'm going to sit with it. I think that's a really, really powerful step as well. I'm going to read Heather Avis's books. Scoot over and make right, some room. Right, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Aside, <laughs> obviously, that's the number one book you start with is Scoot over and make some room. Exactly. That's your first exactly. point. Of what, <laughs> uh, what is another book? Obviously, Scoot over and make some room is the book that we're all going to recommend to start with. But what is the <laughs> next book that the people should read? Um, a man named Jean Vignier, and I don't know that I say his name right ever. He created uh, communities called Larch Communities. He wrote a book called Becoming Human. Um, Becoming Human is an incredible read if you're thinking about relationships with people with different abilities. Mm -hmm. um, there's a woman named Austin Channing Brown who wrote a book called I'm Still Here. She's an African-American Afro African woman. Okay. Um, it's called I'm Still Here. That book everyone should pick up and read today. Um, 
those are the ones that I can think of right off the top of my head. Those are great. Links to your book and those two books in the show notes for people to go ahead and get a hold of them and get started with those things. Uh, I'm going to let you go, but where can people follow up with you aside from buying the book, which again, link in the show notes. Awesome. Yes, we are on the Lucky Few Official on Instagram. We spend a lot of time in that space. Um, And then theluckyfew.com. Wait, did I say the Lucky Few Official on Instagram? theluckyfew.com is our website and every links to all the things that are happening in our lives are found there. Okay, so links to the Instagram and the website in the show notes. Before I let you go, Heather, I'm going to ask you something that uh, I asked everybody. uh, What is one thing that people can start doing today to make their lives better? Oh, gosh. One thing you can start doing today to make your lives better is to go find the person in your life who you love and tell them that you love them exactly how they are and that they don't need to change a thing. That's amazing. Well, Heather, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you. And I think this is important stuff that that uh, maybe you didn't realize you needed to hear this today, but but we all need to hear this. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for letting me talk about it. I appreciate hey. that. <laughs> Anytime. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot. If you want to follow up, John is on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. It's where we spend most of our time. We post videos. We go live. We do things with sponsors there. Really fun place to hang out. We try to respond to every comment and get you guys involved and and, uh, do a lot of audience interaction over there. So please check that out. Also, John is on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. I am at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me there. I try to respond to every message, every shout out that you guys put out there. Uh, And we love, more than anything else, we really love recommendations for guests and people that you would like to hear on the show. Helps us make the podcast better for you, which again is the whole reason we do this. And I'd like to remind all of you, thank you so much for listening. We couldn't do this without you. Have a great week, everybody. 